Welcome to Care Talk, America's home for incisive debate about healthcare business and policy. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of Care Center. He's David, we have a special guest today. Um, we have the president of the United States of Care, my friend, Natalie Davis. And the U.S. of Care is focused on building a better healthcare system. And since we all know that it kind of sucks right now, um, she's going to explain what we're doing, what we all should be doing about it and what the U.S. of Care in specific is doing about it. Welcome, Natalie. Great. Thank you so much for having me. You know what? I think it just shows how important uh, healthcare is. You know, not only do we have the United States of America, but we have the United States of Care to go along with it. I think that is just terrific, John. It really shows how important it is. Well, I, I think that they're actually, while you're poking fun at it, I think one of the biggest challenges we have, Brett, Natalie, maybe you start here, is getting people to agree on what some of the problems are and kind of coming up with common solutions in this uh, uber politicized time. Why, why, does, you know, why does a united approach to the United States of care really matter? Yeah, thank you. And thank you for the question. And actually, tease me up perfectly to talk about what we do at United States of Care. Uh, when we launched five years ago, we really set out um, to find a path of where do people across this country, across demographics, agree where the healthcare system is working for them and where it doesn't. Um, you know, we we looked around when we when we launched this organization. It was right on the heels of the summer of repeal and replace, and we said there needs to be an organization that is thinking about the future of our healthcare system. But really with the idea of understanding what works for people and what doesn't and finding those united needs and united experiences. So we spent years uh, doing that, going across the country and talking to people. Uh, I started out at a kitchen table in San Diego, to the streets of Philadelphia, then moved to Zoom during the pandemic, uh, focus groups and national polls to really understand what is working and what isn't. And I can tell you the future of the healthcare system, when you talk to people, it needs to be affordable dependable, personalized, and easy to navigate. Um, and the four goals that that really resonate with people are aligned there. They have the certainty they can afford their health care. Their coverage is there when their life changes and they can depend on it. Uh, that the healthcare system provides personalized care when and how they need it. And the healthcare system is easy to understand and navigate, which might be the hardest one to tackle. But, but, but those really resonate across. Yeah. But we have these standards. I mean, I think maybe to frame it for a moment, yeah. uh, you know, over the last, you know, since the, the, the Obamacare got passed, being pro or against care in general has been a lightning rod issue for politics and has divided even those who might agree on different policy decisions. You're now talking about people agreeing on policy as well as approach to healthcare. How the heck is that going? Uh, it's it's going well and it's going uh, and it's frustrating because there are things that we need to fix on this healthcare system, but we have seen progress towards these four goals and and we took these four goals and found the twelve solution areas, the twelve specific areas that people want us to to focus on. And some of the ones that we've seen progress on were just recently out of Congress with uh, reducing 
prescription drugs. That was the number one issue people wanted us to work on, um, to making sure people could afford their health insurance. We saw um, the, the cred tax credits pass and people will have, um, you know, those, those benefits of making sure they can afford their insurance. Over the last three years, we've passed legislation in three states to make sure more people have more coverage um, that they can afford and continue to see progress at the state and federal level. But there's so much more to do. Um, people cannot afford their health care. It's the number one issue that we hear. Even when you talk about caregiving, maternal health or others, it comes down to affordability. Yeah, a- and so there's a lot of room for progress. So, Natalie, I'm trying to understand, um, you know, why it's important to go on this sort of, you know, listening tour. Uh, we have a lot of experts around, you know, you have Mr. Driscoll among, among others. Why is it important to go and, you know, listen to the, listen to the people as opposed to listen to the Driscolls? Well, when we started the organization, we brought in people like John and Lauren and Senator Frist and Andy Slavitt, Mario Molina, Dr. Rhonda Meadows, people, luminaries across healthcare to say, come with us on this journey, help us be a part of the solution, but let's base it on what people need. Um, because often when you do talk to um, politicians or to others, there is a belief that people don't agree, that the American people want different things. And and while that's true, there are things that people want help on. The one that interested me the most and we're diving into in our policy innovation lab is a real desire for caregivers, for people to have support when they care for loved ones at home. It's actually the, the number one one um, issue that spiked for Republicans. And as a political organization, you look for where you find these spikes across political demographics. And and that tells me that we have issues that aren't politicized yet. That tells me that if we can base these on human needs, human stories, and work with people across the aisle, or bring smart solutions that the general public agrees on, that we can have some space to work with leaders um, in the healthcare system to push these forward um, with policymakers. But it's, but Natalie, one of the things that's attractive about the United States of care is that you've got folks like Senator Frist, who was the Republican majority leader. And you've got folks like Mike Levitt, who worked as as, uh, President Bush's uh, secretary of HHS. And you've also got Andy and others who worked in the Obama administration. But what's What's frustrating is that even in the current environment where people agree, they sometimes posture to disagree. How do you solve for that around? Because when you're talking about caregiving or prescription drug prices, those are all American issues. So how how do you break through the clutter there? John, it's pretty, some pretty dark stuff. It's like you say, okay, it's great that people agree and then they decide to disagree despite the fact they agree. What are you talking about? Well, that, uh, David, David, we got to get you out of your COVID hiding spot up in the attic. No that you've been there for two years. The, the news no. ain't great, dude. There's a fair amount of, there's a fair amount of divide, uh, and, and destroy. That's just, I think, part of the conventional politics of the moment. But what Natalie's raising, which is, which is both intriguing and frustrating is mm-hmm. both the, 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 I mean, that, that, Biden just passed uh, the first material drug pricing reduction uh, since since Part D is the way I look at it, Natalie. That that where it's a genuine yeah. benefit to people, and yeah, this is something that both Bernie Sanders and Donald Trump agreed on, and somehow they didn't get together on. So, David, actually, division's kind of an issue. So maybe we'll let it, Natalie, answer it while you sit there in your <laughs> ivy-towered attic in the People's Republic of Massachusetts. <laughs> 
You know, I would say that our one of my goals as the organization is that we are at the table when industry is at the table talking to policymakers, that the people's voice is, is, is right there, if not louder than that of industry. And I think we have the data to back it up on what people need. We have the 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 data of where disparities are occurring, where people are unnecessarily dying um, or could be treated better based on their race, their class, their their language. And so, you know, I, I, I am optimistic, though I, I know it's an uphill battle where we can be there. We can say this is what matters to people. We were just in uh, rural South Carolina talking to people about their needs. We brought policymakers to the table in this library where we brought community members to talk about what they need um, and and you know, being that, be amplifying people's voices that are already loud, but we can make them louder, bring those to other states, bring those up to the federal government. Um, so, and be, so, be at so the table. Natalie, just, I just want to be double click on what you're saying, because you've really, as David said, invested in going to what is, what are people's authentic experiences outside of the beltway yeah. conversation? That's often way too complicated and no one follows it. So it becomes a to and fro between personalities how do you take that, how to talk about the language of healthcare yeah. burdens and opportunities and turn that into policy in a way that people even listen to? Yeah. So one of my, the most interesting learnings that I've had over the years of talking to people is I would talk to them on the phone and I'd say, thank you so much for spending time with me. And they would say, I'm happy to talk to you, Natalie, about my experiences, but they're mine alone. Nobody else goes to the healthcare system because I'm either too smart or too dumb. I'm either too rich or too poor. I'm too healthy or not healthy. So really this experience I have, I'll tell you about it, but it's, it's mine. And there are times where that's true. But it's actually also, I then heard the same stories over and over again of people feeling like their doctors weren't looking at their whole body. They weren't looking at their head and their, their mental health is the same as their, their physical health that they, um, you know. In many cases, they don't make eye contact. They don't make eye contact. People talk about that, that they can't believe their insurance is going to be there if they they do get cancer. They get um, you know laid off during a pandemic. Their insurance is not there. And so we use words very, very um, intentionally. So our first goal, like I said, is people have the certainty they can afford their health care. We could have just said people afforded it. But when you get to the emotional discussions of people, it's that certainty is that what they don't have and it's what they need and it's what's hampering them from getting care. So when we talk to policymakers or we talk to other people who are... Um, you know, thought leaders in healthcare, we say, let's use words that really resonate with people. Value-based care, don't use that. Nobody knows what you're talking about, but you're talking about an experience where people are seen as their full body, where they're going and they have the support they need from other providers. Um, we talk about targeted changes because when you talk to people, as much as they hate the healthcare system, they've got it taped up and, you know, all their little uh, hacks that they've done to get through the healthcare system. And they're really afraid if you do a lot, they can't get through this healthcare system and they don't trust you can pull it off. You know, you know Natalie, so you, us, just, we, you just, you know, just screwed up a lot of Dave's business by saying that no one understands value-based care. He's been, <laughs> he's been, he's been, he's been, he's been, he's been, he's been supping at that table for many, that, many years. Come on, yeah, John, Dave, I was gonna you're, you're, you're so on your back afraid. on that one. What well, do you John, think about it, David? Yeah. Well, I was going to say I, I do live in an ivory tower, but it's a synthetic ivory, so I don't want anybody getting uh, too upset uh, with me about it. And I think, you know, value-based care, I think people like the word, you know, value. But I, I had a question um, which relates to the kind of the role of the states versus the federal mm -hmm. government. You know, I usually expect a national organization to be focused on things at the federal level, but it yeah. sounds like you've got a mix of state and federal. How do those go together? 
Yeah. So let me tell you about how we do our work. We go across the country and talk to people. I've covered that. We then um, have come out with United Solutions for Care. It's our agenda for change. It is these four goals and the 12 solutions that across demographics people believe will make a difference in their healthcare system. Um, it's backed with evidence that these are issues. If we address in the right way, we can increase um, and make a more equitable healthcare system. We then run state and federal campaigns to drag these issues where we see opportunities, where there are leaders happening uh, in states um, or with the federal government or with Congress. Um, for us, we believe that any lever we can we can work on is, is really important. And, and more so when we started the organization, we said, let's have these state trials. Let's try things in different states. We've passed public option in three states. Each of those look different because each state is different. If eventually there's a place where we can go to the federal government and, and there's a president or another person who wants to run or really think about public option as an issue, we can point to different states that have built it differently, have implemented differently and have different outcomes. So for us, it was very intentional as an organization to do that. Lastly, I'll say we also have a policy innovation lab where we know that this country doesn't have the right answer on everything, or we don't have good enough policy or policy with equity uh, lens baked into it. And so we have an innovation lab where we work with people across the healthcare system to build new policy, which we can then deploy either through the private sector partners that we have or at the state or federal level. So, you know, your fourth goal about making an understandable system, and John, this gets to your nasty point about people not understanding value-based care. You do have you do have two solutions related to making the system more understandable. One's about making prescription uh, costs more transparent, and yeah. the other one is about increasing availability of patient navigators. Now, the navigators, yeah. John, can explain value-based care, I suppose, but what are these two things for, and, and you know, do, do you get some, some, some juice out of them? Yeah, so... What's really interesting about the first one is that we brought, so we had these four goals we heard from listening to people. We brought over 70 different policies back out to people and said, we heard your goals. Do these, any of these resonate? The 12 are on our United Solutions for Care. Um, people ranked, even if you can't change prescription costs, just tell me how much they're going to cost. Just tell me. And, and even if you don't change them, I can't afford it, but at least I'll know. Um, and so we see a real need there. And I think we're going to need to bring that to the lab and understand how do we do that? Cause I know it's not easy, but people, people want to know what the prescriptions are going to cost. Um, and number two, I, I wanted to call it a healthcare buddy. Cause when I talked to people, especially this one um, group in California, there was uh, a woman who's a wheelchair user and she talked about how hard it was for her um, to go and get a mammogram. If her, if she didn't have a loved one with her to help her lift her up, you know, get her in the machine and then listen to the doctor afterwards about what, um, you know, what the outcome was. And I, and everybody around the table kind of nodded and we're thinking, oh, when I've had this issue, I wish someone was there to take notes for me or whatever it is. And so, you know, I, I was like, what if we had a healthcare buddy? And people were like, yes, like someone to come with me if a loved one can't. The word buddy didn't stick when we talked to others about it, but it really is this idea of someone to help navigate it's a little the healthcare weird. system. What's weird? <laughs> it's a little weird. The whole buddies, and like, it just reminds me way too yeah, much of, of, yeah. of, 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 of like nursery school and making sure you don't lose people yeah. going out to the school. So it didn't but stick. I, it didn't but, stick. I, but, I think, but I think that there's a, but what does it say about our system that, yeah. you know, with, with, with without uh, Sacagawea, that was the right reference, right? Right, uh, right for the Lewis and Clark expedition there, David, to test yeah. your knowledge of America <laughs> with, with, without a true guy. I, yeah. That you can't you can't get the basics. I think that's. I mean, yeah. is that the right question, Natalie, or should we say, how about we design a system that doesn't require you know um, 
you know, expert supervision. I think I, that would be, I mean, I was with you on drug cost transparency and yeah. David, you're going to have to move away from value-based bloviation yeah. to actually maybe work on it. Cause I think that's, that's something that everybody agrees on. Like, why can't you just tell me what I owe and just don't surprise me. I mean, I, I, I that talk about a bipartisan issue. Um, I, I, what be, can we maybe double click on that and maybe come back to, um, our, our, uh, our, 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 our supervised, uh, supervised, our need for supervised help. Um, uh, because <laughs> well, John, on, on, on real, drugs, it's critical. Yeah. David, come on, John, jump in uh, here. Yeah. I think a real simple way, if you want to simplify, you know, people don't like all the sort of specifics. If you just say, you know, this is your copay and does it have a comma in it or not? You know, that's, that's how you should, should say <laughs> well, that, no, that would be my way I, to simplify. You know, it's, it is, but it, it, you know, it really drugs are not that hard. I mean, it is, you typically, that, that's something that I really do think, you know, it, it typically doesn't affect as much the accumulators and all the other puts and takes, mm -hmm. but given how important drugs are, you know, they're increasingly the largest spend item for commercial, uh, uh, commercially insured. Um, they're getting there on, on, on Medicare. If you add it all up that I, I do think that people, that if we could just make, get that innovation in place, I think my 88 year old mom would really like to know what she owes and, and how it ties to what she's getting. It's this, it's, it's a total black box system. I don't know what, what, what do you think about, can we make progress on that one, Natalie? I hope so. I mean, it is, it's a, it's a big industry to go up against for sure. Um, and when we talk to people, it's like, how can you just even tell us how we set the prices? Like, I'd love to know how much I'm going to cost, but also like you just said, John, the word black box, how are these set? Um, why do they increase? Um, I think it'll be really interesting with the implementation of the prescription drug through the Medicare program. And, and we will have a sneak peek. We will have a peek more into how, how they're being set or how Medicare is negotiating for these um, prices. And, you know, we're going to continue to be at the table to say these need to extend past Medicare. We need all people to make sure they can afford their insulin and, and, and other drugs. And so, um, you know, I think there's going to be a big step forward towards this one of really making making it clear how we're negotiating the price that the government will pay or you know Medicare beneficiaries that will pay for their drugs. You know, when I mean, we think if about you just these, uh, go go, David. If, go. if you think about these dozen solutions, you know, the second one is about eliminating out of pocket costs for basic healthcare services. And on the one hand, we talk about bipartisan. That also sounds like if you pitch it a certain way, it's like free stuff. You know, it sounds like socialism. You know, well, what? so our country made a huge step, and I know you guys just had an issue on uh, a, a, a session episode. on this yeah. um, episode uh, about preventive services that people can get without um, without paying out of pocket. Um, there is a court case that could take that away for uh, millions of people, especially that on the employer-sponsored coverage. If it goes, you know, if the decisions goes in a certain way and the ramifications go a certain way. Um, so I think first we need to shore up and make sure that the out-of-pocket costs that people are shielded from through the ACA stay. But I think there's also some real, real desire from people where they can have more mental health care and, and preventive care um, that isn't um, out of pocket. And so we have a real interest in, um, in working with, um, with states, especially. We see some progress possible in the next couple of years of states of making sure to protect people or increase this ability to get the care that if, if we're staying healthier, then and ideally we're not getting sick care. 
I, I just think there's a really there's real power, Natalie, in 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 the problem of solving. I just want to get what I paid for with insurance yeah. and with healthcare, and and that is a huge challenge. And if you can chip away at it, and again, I'd I'd, yeah. I'd start with with drugs, but if you can get all that preventive stuff, that's great. But people just there's a there's a a a, 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 a distortion field around not just pricing but value. And, and, and access yeah. that, that I think is, and, uh, go. Mm-hmm. No, I'm sorry. Um, I was just going to go back to the value-based care thing. Cause I know we've been poking fun at you, Dave, but what we say is, you know, we don't need to talk about value-based care to, to the everyday person. That is a tool to make sure that we're paying for our opinion is that's a tool to make sure we're paying for care that is high quality and people can access it and really transforming the healthcare system. But if we look at these 12 solutions from United Solutions of Care, the issues that people want, we cannot get there on a fee-for-service basis. So when we talk to people on the Hill um, or in the state capitals, we say, this is why you should care about this thing called value-based care. It is moving us away from the things people hate from the system and moving us towards a place where we can get people mental health, we can get people support as a caregiver, we can get people navigators or care extenders. Um, people can understand when they go to the doctor, they can, you know, then see the pharmacist who's on site as well as the, you know, the PT or the OT. It really is a, creating that experience that people want. So John, I'm going to give you the last question in a minute, but I'm just going to put out a little <laughs> communication suggestion there, which is I think the United States of Care should have like a national anthem. And it should include oh. something about value-based care in it and, uh, you know, all these uh, free stuff. All what if other- we don't use that word, though? What if we don't use value-based care? No, use some, I mean, you can say you can use ramparts. You can say or, you know, there's all sorts <laughs> of special words that you can use in an anthem. But that way people can unite about it. They stand up at the end and they start cheering for it. I think that has the best yeah, chance of being Yeah, great idea, David. Why don't, right. you, why, don't you, why don't you work on that on, on, <laughs> we in your free right time? In. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No problem, so, Natalie, John. I guess, I guess, I guess the, the one thing I'd ask is, in the next 12 to 24 months, what's the one thing that you think the United States of care can get done for the average healthcare consumer, the, the, the person who's trying, trying to figure out how they're going to pay their bills, understand what they're going to get, and is worried about their health care? What, what can you do for that American patient? Yeah, so I'm going to see, I'm going to talk about the convergence of two things. One is the end of the public health. So I'm going to talk about access to care through virtual care. I just asked for health. one. I just want one. Uh, but they're coming together. They're coming together <laughs> on the Hill. Uh, we have the end of the public health emergency coming at some point. Um, we're not sure when. But a lot of the flexibilities that people have really benefited from of seeing a, a, a you know caregiver um, or a provider virtually, um, we need the Congress will need to act on that. And thankfully, this is a bipartisan area where both sides agree we need to act and make sure these flexibilities continue. And so we think in the next six months that will happen. Um, at the same time as through this end of the year, this idea of mental health through virtual care, where we know it's such a need in this country that with these flexibilities and with Congress's focus, probably in a bipartisan way to make sure that people can especially get mental health through a virtual setting is going to be really important. Well, that's it for yet another edition of Care Talk. We've been talking today with Natalie Davis. She's the CEO and co-founder of the United States of Care, which you'll be able to hear about on an upcoming uh, album. I'm David Williams, president of Health Business Group. And I'm John Driscoll, the CEO of CareCentrics. Natalie, thanks for joining us. And for our listeners and viewers, if you like what you heard or you didn't, please subscribe. Your favorite service.